Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your fine host and also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, I don't often put a plug in here, but just want to remind you that this ministry is there to help pastors and international workers, ministry leaders who are navigating difficult times. I have loved it recently where someone has heard my podcast and has reached out to me for help and we're able to uh, to be an encouragement to, to these. So if you know of anybody who uh, needs encouragement in ministry, uh, just simply go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, and you can find the contact information there. Uh, or you can just email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Okay, this is what we're doing today. I'm not going to introduce the person I'm interviewing because they have been working as an international worker in a Muslim context. And I've done one or two of these before, but it always fascinates me how uh, we have a good number of of people working in countries that we call closed or uh, creative access. In other words, you have to be creative in how you uh, access the the, uh, hearts of people there with the gospel. And uh, this particular individual I'm I'm interviewing is recently retired. So we go back and reflect on on his life in ministry and what it was like to to work with uh, with Muslim people. Also, what we need to understand about Islam and what the church needs to understand better about reaching them. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into that podcast right now. All right, I have uh, on Zoom here someone who I will not call him by name, hopefully, because of the context in which he worked. Uh, but I still can say good morning. Good morning. It's good to have you uh, on this podcast here, my friend. And we are uh, talking about, and uh, people will understand why we are uh, trying to be cautious here, but we're discussing working uh, with the gospel in, in a Muslim context. I, I did do a podcast part of this years ago. Uh, but I, I think the again the stories are so different. Uh, so uh, again, you have to be rather discreet with this. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, uh, what led you to do what you what you did. And I always love to ask, what drives you? What are you most passionate about? Okay, well, I had the joy and privilege of growing up in New Jersey, and well, there I came to know the Lord very early in my journey in Christ. I felt a calling to the um, just generally overseas, but I had a privilege of doing short-term missions in Europe, but ministering to people from the Arab lands. And while there, God just laid it on my heart that this is really the place that I should be working. So I very early felt the call to the Middle East. However, I had a slight detour before going to the Middle East. I spent 15 years with my wife and children ministering in the Philippines. And we had a great ministry there, but after ministering there for 15 years, we made our way to the Middle East. And one of now, the you did not that, you did not work amongst Muslims in, in the Philippines. Is that no, correct? I didn't. It was mm-hmm. more like, you know, nominal, nominal Christians, you know, mm-hmm. Christian by name only. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. You from the beginning of your your 
a career path as you started that journey, you did have a heart for the Mideast. Uh, was that difficult for you to, to not be there, or did you accept that this is what the Lord wanted, and within time he would use you where he wanted you? No, some of the best years of our mm. lives were actually spent in the Philippines. We had a wonderful uh, ministry there. We, In fact, um, we would have stayed there all of, really, I, I would expect all of our ministry lives, if not longer, if it wasn't for the fact that the church there was growing to such an extent that we felt that they no longer needed international workers there. Hmm. So we decided, not just um, me or my wife and myself, but our mission agency decided to put our resources in countries like the Middle East uh, that really don't have the the amount of workers and believers that they would have in a place like the Philippines. Yeah, and that's been that's been common in the last decade or so of of reinvesting uh, from places that have been successful to. Uh, harder places, and I know uh, quite a few people who've had that experience. Uh, so, as you as you look back again, you're at the the uh, last stage of of your ministry, not your last stage of life, because we we don't know when that will be. Uh, you're a real healthy guy. Uh, you bike like crazy. Um, but as as you look back over it all, what what do you find yourself most passionate about? Well, in the last fifteen years, it's just been exciting to find ways to communicate Christ to Muslims in a way that they understand it, Mm. you know, because they have, you know, a lot of places, okay, where traditionally where workers would go, they would go, let's say, to a very primitive area where they never heard of Christ. So you would be starting on ground zero. I, mm-hmm. I feel in a place like the Middle East, you're not starting from ground zero. You're starting from sub-zero because there's not just unbelief, but I call it disbelief. In other words, mm-hmm. believing about Jesus, but believing the wrong things, being mm-hmm. taught mm-hmm. that the truths of the gospel are not true. So you're starting, I think it's sub-zero. So when you have the opportunity to see somebody's eyes open when you talk about Christ and it resonates with them, something of the gospel, something of the person of Jesus, that really, that really excites me. Yeah, and it's not just a disbelief in Christianity. They also have their belief, which is very, you know, rooted strongly in culture and history. Uh, and we'll be probably talking about this a little bit more, but just the, you know, what's being asked of people uh, who, who are ardent uh, Muslims or even who aren't, there, there's a huge cost in, in coming to Christ. Um, so as you, you touched on this a little bit, but as you look back over your, your ministry, uh, what were the, how would you describe the best seasons and the hardest seasons and why? Okay, the har- I'll start with the hardest seasons. Mm-hmm. The hardest seasons weren't necessarily the worst seasons. They were just mm-hmm. hard. Okay? Mm-hmm. You know, so generally speaking, in the Middle East, it was, it was very challenging to be with people. I, okay, I spent most of my time with, with Muslims, mostly young adults in their 20s and 30s. 
and to really find people that are just just really fine people that really care for, you know, cared for me and I cared for them, but yet not being able to clearly present the gospel in Mm. a way that they would understand it. So that was, Mm. that was hard. But at the same time, I enjoyed thoroughly being with these people. I felt often like I was with family and to give Mm. a background to that in, uh, in the country that I lived in, uh, in the middle East, there is a Christian community, a small Christian community. And the tradition of the Christians would be on Christmas day, Christians would visit family members. Mm. Okay. And the day after Christmas, they would visit friends. We didn't have any family in the country where we lived. But on one Christmas day, our house was full of Muslims that came to wish us Merry Christmas. So there you have the hard, mm. Mm. but at the same time, it was, you know, it, it was enjoyable. Yeah, I would sounds, say it sounds like they, they appreciated the traditions that uh, the Christians observed. Uh, yeah, and, well, a lot of it has to do with, 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 with friendship, too. Yeah. Mm. Okay. In mm. other words, people will kind of go out of the way if there's somebody that they care for, that they really care for. Like we had a we had a Christian guy. I was a member of a bike bicycle group. A Christian guy died. He was actually hit by a car. And I'll never forget going to church and seeing the church full of Muslims, you know, because they were other cyclists. So mm. it was a commitment to him also that, uh, that made them go. So I would say the best times, those times in the Philippines, I spoke the language uh, fluently. Mm. And I even picked up the humor and it was just kind of almost an uncanny connection. So I had very rich ministry opportunities uh, there. We had uh, we had a church that was outside of a former uh, Navy base. In fact, our churches were used to be the red light district. And so uh, the, uh, the owner of uh, one of the old houses of ill repute uh, came to Christ and she gave us her church, her her build, her discotheque to use as a church, and we saw many people coming to Christ. So that was they were exciting times. So I was invited to speak all around the country, even internationally in Filipino churches. So that was very exciting. Whereas in the Middle East, I struggled with the language, and I didn't really have the same opportunities. So you you went there, no doubt. Certain assumptions, you know, no doubt a lot of uncertainties as well. But uh, what what surprised you when you moved into, you know, from the Philippines to work in this Muslim context? Okay, while I was still in the Philippines, I attended an Islamic university. Okay, so it was a university uh-huh. that was mm. that was training um, people to be imams, you know, which is like a pastor of a of a mosque and they're, they're training people to be teachers in Islamic schools and, and the like. So I did have some preparation before I went, but I think what surprised me was the difficulty of the language. Since I learned to speak Tagalog, the Filipino national language mm-hmm. uh, very quickly. So I was surprised how difficult it was. And I was also pleasantly surprised at the friendliness of, 
of the people and the connections that I the, the, the genuine connection that I had with some of the um, mm. people mm. that I had contact with. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, relationships were, were really a key way uh, that uh, that you ministered there. Uh, let's let's back up a little bit because I I think a lot of us, particularly here in the states, we we have a just a broad overview of what Islam is. Uh, but if you if you had just a couple minutes, you know, to share with someone, you know, just a brief history of Islam, and I know it, it's very nuanced, and there are different, you know ways to understand it, different factions of it, but uh, give us a basic overview. Okay, I'll give you an overview from a Muslim perspective. In other words, I'm not going to give any commentary, okay? Mm -hmm. I'll just more or less tell you how a Muslim would tell it. And, um, of course, it began with Muhammad. He was born in about 570 A.D., and he had a pretty rough beginning. His father died before he was born, So he was raised by his mother, and then his mother died when he was just about um, three years old. So he was adopted by his grandfather, and then his grandfather died when Mm -hmm. Muhammad was eight years old. So eventually he was raised by his uncle. He became a shepherd and a merchant. Interesting. And while he was a merchant, he worked for a lady named Khadija, who was 15 years older than him. And finally, she proposed to him for marriage. So he was 25 Mm. (laughs) at the time, and she was 40. So they married. And um, during the the time that Khadija was alive, he didn't have another wife. You know, a a Muslim is allowed uh, four wives. Mm -hmm. But uh, so Muhammad stayed with her for that for those years that she was still alive. But uh, you would say Islam really began in a cave outside of Mecca. One day, Muhammad was meditating in this cave, and he had a vision or a revelation, and it came from God through the angel Gabriel, and he gave the message and the message of Islam. And then those messages continued for a period uh, I believe it was about 20 years, okay? So it wasn't like just dropped down in one, you know, in, mm-hmm. in one sort of download. It came, it, came through, it came through time. So he took that message and he brought it to the people of Mecca and it was not very well received. He stayed in Mecca for about 10 years. There were a number of converts. His wife was his first convert. And finally, the, the persecution became so great by the Meccans that the Muslims left and they went to what is now called Medina, okay? And that, when they left to go to Medina, that's actually the Muslim New Year, okay? So on an Islamic calendar, New Year's isn't January 1st. It's the day that the Muslims left Mecca and mm. they went to Medina. So they were very well mm. received. The Muslims were very well received in Medina and the city became a Muslim city. So eventually they went back about 10 years later, they went back to Mecca and they defeated, they defeated Mecca and uh, Mecca became a Muslim city. And interestingly enough, according to the historical context, um, a lot of those verses that talk about killing the infidel, the infidel Mm -hmm. was actually the Meccans. 
Okay, which sounds weird. Mm-hmm. It sounds weird to us because mm-hmm. we think of Mecca as the Islamic holy city, but they were the ones who were creating havoc for the Muslims in the early mm. days. And then just from there, it began. The Islam began to spread by war and other means as it moved out into like Southeast Asia, like Indonesia and the Philippines. That was often carried by merchants. And of course, you know, Islam began to spread. After, after Muhammad died, he had four friends. Uh, they call him, uh, the, the leader of Islam is called the Caliph. And they had four leaders called the four rightly guided Caliphs. So one after another, they led Islam. And then hmm. finally, yeah, it just spread to pretty much what it is today. Uh, that's fascinating. Thanks for doing such a great job in, in describing that. Um, and uh, one of the things we'll we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, but just set this up now is is you know we we understand that you know a, a Muslim individual's understanding of salvation is so different from uh, what we present in the gospel. So it'll it'll be interesting to to ask you what the reaction was and what kind of good conversations you had there. But you talked about the presence of of a church there, and of course the. The, nomin- the mission agency you were with has a, a presence there. Um, how did they relate to, to the Muslims and, um, you know, the, the, the national church presence there? And, and how do the Muslims view them? You know, they, they do have freedom. Christians have freedom of religion to share their religion to other Christians. In other words, so they would mm-hmm. often, like an evangelical church, would reach out to um, so-called Christians that were more nominal, but it was against the law to share the uh, to share the gospel with a Muslim. With a Muslim, so mm. the big picture is there are peaceful relationships between Muslims and Christians, but at the same time, the church is still a minority. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think living as a minority, there are some challenges. For instance, right now is the Muslim month of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. Ramadan is actually a month on the, on the on the Islamic calendar. Okay, so for this whole month, the Muslims are fasting from more, from from um, sunrise to sunset, so they can't eat or drink. So that means a Christian at work can't eat or drink. Okay, so they're they're affected by that. Mm, mm. Um, a, a Christian might live next to a mosque, so at five in the morning, you know, they'll wake up to a very loud voice pouring into their bedroom. Um, you know, you know, la illa illa Allah wa Muhammadun Rasulullah. You know, there's no God but mm-hmm. God. Muhammad is the prophet of God. So I I, I think there are some challenges, and they're. I haven't observed it, but I've heard they have also had challenges in terms of, you know, in terms of their job. Somehow that would be affected. But nonetheless, many of the Christians are prosperous. In, it's, uh, it seems, yeah, it's, um, it seems like the, you know, for the Christian to preserve themselves, they have to stay in their lane. So what are the contexts where a believer uh, can effectively and safely, uh, again, a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, historically martyrdom comes out of people, you know, crossing that safety line and, and, and sharing Christ. So does, does this maybe keep the church kind of isolated from the culture? Uh, yeah. And it's interesting. You said isolated from the culture. 
for apart from religion, there's right. al almost like two different cultures. Okay, and we would find the same mm -hmm. thing in the U.S., especially traditionally. Now we're, we're we have become more of a melting pot, but there were times where you would have two different cultures that didn't intermingle, and I think that's just the nature of mankind. So mm -hmm. there's not a lot of um, like I, I went out to do some visitation. I was went to visit a, a family from Syria to help bring some, you know, they just came from the war-torn country. So we came to bring them some, just some help, some food and so forth. And there was a, a Christian guy with me who was probably in his 40s. And after we left the house, he said, I never really sat in a Muslim home before. Mm, this guy mm. was, you know, he was a born again Christian who, you know, who mm -hmm. loved Jesus, um, who probably shared his faith, but not in that context. So there is a, what, there is what, a separation. What, what some Christians have a conviction that would say, no, I, I can't participate in that, whatever that might be. That's something I will not do because that you're doing that because of, uh, you know, you're your belief system and yeah okay that's a good question no they they have they they would not they they would not i don't know any christian that would fast intentionally during ramadan it's just oh, okay okay it's just against the law for them to eat in front of a you know in front of a muslim right okay okay, okay. that, that words, makes sense you know so you, yeah. you're in an office full of muslims who haven't eaten all day nor have they had a drink you know and you're there with your ice cold Coca-Cola um, and your sandwich. And uh, that would, you know, that would be very offensive to the. Okay. Uh, okay. So that's not expected of, of the Christian to, right. to do that. Okay. Uh, what did you personally do to befriend Muslims? Well, I taught, I taught English. Um, the, the students were mostly young adults, so not, not children. Mm -hmm. And I connected well with them. I, I made my class a conversation class. So instead of sitting in traditional classroom style, we sat in a circle and had conversation. And those conversations would continue on after class. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would take my uh, students out for, you know, just to go out for coffee. And um, I took them on a hike. And in fact, when we were hiking one day, there was a very young girl Oh, she's in her 20s, I guess. And she had her hijab on, you know, from a good Muslim family. And as we were walking, she said, my name, Mr. And by my first go, always call me Mr. By my first name, Mr. Bob. OK, that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's not my name. Mr. Bob, you're you're more than a teacher to us. You're like our father. Mm. OK, so that's kind of how. And I also connected a lot through sports through hiking and cycling. So yeah. I spent many, many hours um, hiking long distances. In fact, on my 62nd birthday, I had three Christians and three Muslims. And I invited them to walk a hundred kilometer walk. But for me, it was 62 miles. Because <laughs> I wanted to walk a mile for every year. I love it. Yeah, so these young people walked um, walked with me. Yeah, I'll walk sixty two feet okay. for my sixty second birthday. <laughs> but did did their perception of Christianity change by meeting you? 
Yes, I, I would say yes. I remember one time when I first got to Jordan, I heard somebody talking about a particular person who was immoral, a drunk, and so forth. And then they said, oh, that's because that's because he's a Christian. Mm. And they weren't they weren't mocking or insulting. They were just stating the facts mm -hmm. the way they saw them. OK, because basically, if you're not a Muslim, you're a Christian. So yeah. Your picture of Christianity was basically a nominal was nominal Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And you can be very nominal. You know, Christianity is an identity. You could be the closest thing to an atheist and mm -hmm. still be called. Okay, they still would view it. Yeah, because that's how they view the Muslim uh, culture and religion as well. It's almost inseparable, right? In fact, I, I read a book not long ago. It was it was um called The Atheist Muslim. It was written by mm. a Muslim guy who's an atheist, and he saw mm. no contradiction. Interesting. Yeah, you wouldn't say that of a Christian, a Christian atheist. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, can you tell a story of a conversation that you had with a Muslim where you were encouraged that you actually were able to, uh, you know, clearly present the gospel or, or communicate in a way perhaps that you had found difficult and at other times? Yes. Uh, I was teaching my English class. And after class, I had a me I had a little meeting. Uh, I couldn't have a Bible study, but since Muslims believe in Jesus, I could have a class called the life of the prophet Jesus. And mm. it was Easter time, and I wanted to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that does not resonate with Muslims. Mm. Okay, think how in the world could a, a man as good as Jesus die? And there was another mm. guy who had that problem, too. Um, you might know him. His name is Peter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In the Bible. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. and, 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 you know, in the fact, you know, when, when they think of him as dying, they think of him as a, as a victim. Mm. They think mm. of him as they think of him as a victim. So it doesn't really resonate. So I wanted to communicate it. And it kind of hit me at, on the spot. So I, I was, there were mostly guys I was talking to, and I talked about when Jesus went on the cross. I, I, I used verses like when Jesus said, no one takes my life. I mm -hmm. lay it down. Yeah. And I yeah. take it up. Okay. When, even when the, when the guards came to arrest Jesus, they fell backwards. I, yeah. wanted to belong to, I wanted to bring on the idea Jesus is not a victim. Okay. He's a victor. Mm. Okay. And then when he was on the cross, I said he took our sins, he took death, he took hell, and he he took our punishment, and he really died. When he was buried, but when he was buried, he went down for the three count. Day one, mm. day two, mm. day three, and that third day he came up victoriously, and he beat sin, he beat mm. death, he beat hell. And I just remember a student looking at me and saying, I never heard that before. Wow. So that was wow. that was really exciting. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I picture a wrestler or you know, pinned on the ground and the referee saying one, two, three, and then there's victory. That's that's an awesome image there. I love that. 
I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but that's what came. Yeah, that, that's mind. exactly what you shared. That. Okay. I, actually, I, I love used it. motion in it too, and I get that was pretty. Yeah, clear. yeah. What? Uh, let's wrap up here soon. But what do churches in in the U.S. need to understand better about the the Muslim world or working within the Muslim context? I think they need to understand how much Islam really means uh, to a Muslim. Yeah, hmm. I like to say there's two Muhammads. Obviously, there's one. But what I mean is there's a Christian Muhammad who's not a very nice guy. In other mm-hmm. words, we read Christian books about all the horrible things he did. But I think we need to remember the Muslim Muhammad. Mm. He's, he's an amazing guy. Okay, you know, I mean, in the mm. eyes of a Muslim, he really is the ideal. He's the ideal man. And. Mm. It's never going to help. You know, we need to send people there with a with a, with a heart for Jesus, because all I think the only thing we have to offer the Muslim world is Jesus. Mm. Okay, I don't. I don't yeah. even mean Christianity. Christianity might mm-hmm. not make sense, but the beginning with the person of Jesus—that's mm. what we have to bring to the Muslim. That's mm. what we have to bring to the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. Well, you've done an excellent job presenting the reality of, of what it's like to to work in those cultures, and and you know, being reminded these are these are people with living souls created in the image of God, but deceived. And the the answer, you know, I think sometimes we we spend too much time telling people they're wrong rather than saying, "Hey, let's put that aside here. Th- th- this is what." is is personally convicting to yeah and, 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 me. it's passionate it's personal yeah go ahead yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt uh yeah i never i never when i was talking about christ i never mentioned islam mm, mm. i didn't draw comparisons yeah interesting, interesting. i only spoke yeah. of, i only spoke of jesus yeah. Sirs, yeah, we would see Jesus, and I think we need to remember that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a different form of apologetic, isn't it? Because again, we're we're so often attacking first, and then saying, "But the you know, get rid of that thinking. Here's the right thinking." And uh, and sometimes when they they meet, you know, their their hearts are stirred by uh, you know God Himself coming and a victor. He was a victor by becoming a victim, which is a, an awesome reality and which is so against you know what uh, other religions believe well this has been excellent i love i love to ask the question just to kind of lighten a little bit if if roles were reversed here what uh and you're interviewing me what question would you ask me yeah what do you why do you do what you're doing why do you, what do you do <laughs> in ministry i love it well it's interesting when i was 52 years old i was i made a transition in ministry we had left a uh pastoring a particular church we had a, a year or two where we served as an interim, uh, and then that was that was completed as well. And I always had in my mind, I don't know if it's an arbitrary number, that at the age of 59, I wanted to, to leave pastoring and do a ministry where I counsel and work with, with people in ministry who are hurting or facing challenges, obstacles, need direction. And um, and at, at that time of 52, when I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I do with the rest of my life? It, it struck me that, hey, I can do this now. And because uh, uh, I, I would say in my late 40s, I started to, to really uh, become 
burden for people in ministry. You know, a lot, a lot of missionaries have to come home. International workers have to come home because of conflict, uh, family uh, burdens for family, immediate family, uh, the, the need to care for families back in the States. And, uh, and so many people don't, and I, I hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it anyway, that, you know, they, they have a dream for their life and, and that dream doesn't happen, you know, so they're disillusioned, disenchanted, and it's been wonderful to come alongside people. And uh, as you know, I love what you said um, that, uh, you know, the, your, your, your hardest years were the best years. And, and, and I think if people can capture the beauty of that, which is really the heart of the gospel, it's the, uh, and his resurrection is what gives us hope. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about coming alongside people. And, and my tagline always is to, to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. Great. Hey, and now, by the way, I want to thank you too. You know, it, it, it was challenging to be in the, in the Middle East and the times that I did come back to the States, um, you were often quite an encouragement to me. And I oh, really thank you. Thank that. you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how we met. I remember doing coffee together. Well, thank you, my friend, for your time. And we successfully were able to keep your name out of the conversation. <laughs> and um, we trust that um, you enjoy your time and the warm climate where you are. So thank you so much. Thank you and God bless. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Mm-hmm.